Doctor Who, Shockwave, performed by Sophie Aldred, with Ian Brooker as Owen. Different. That was the word that Ace would use. When you travelled with a Time Lord in a battered blue box, when you were a wanderer in time and space, that's what every day was like. Different from the one before. Some days were like this. A purple sky full of perfect clouds and flocks of gem birds. Green oceans and white sands. And other days were like this. Panic and mayhem. The universe in mortal peril. Danger at every turn. In fact, most days with the Doctor are like that. It's not like he's a magnet for trouble. It's more like trouble is a magnet for him. The TARDIS materialised, and it wasn't a smooth touchdown. Blimey, Professor, what kind of landing was that? I think you left skid marks. The Doctor gave Ace a hard look. As usual, he hadn't decided to fill her in on their latest diversion. Artron energy, he said. This solar system is swimming in agitated temporal particles. She had a rough idea what he was talking about. She picked up a fair bit of techno babble along the way. Is that why we're here? He didn't answer her. He was too busy sizing up the havoc around them. The TARDIS had landed among some cargo containers on the deck of a space station orbiting a world called Tarsus 6. Ace saw the name on a holographic banner projected across the ceiling. Swarms of people were on a platform below, pushing and shoving as they tried to board a big, slab-sided transport vessel. Past the ship, the surface of the planet was visible. The station was over the night side, and for a moment, Ace thought a war was going on down there. Thousands of flares of light danced in the dark. Then she realised she was looking at exhaust plumes from shuttlecraft, all burning as fast as they could to get into orbit. Some didn't make it, fatally overloaded with people desperate to flee the surface. Everything that could fly was trying to get away from Tarsus 6, and the reason why filled the sky behind it. The sun, a red giant the locals called Tarsus Ultra, had gone mad. It wasn't like a supernova. Ace had seen those, and they were beautiful. This was more like a gigantic, angry bruise, all weird colours and rays of light millions of miles long. It was getting bigger even as she watched, coming closer. Professor, what's going on here? The end of the world, Ace, he said. And not just this one. There are colonies all across this system, seeded in the 45th century by star pioneers from Earth. But now their sun is going to expand to engulf them all. Look, said Ace, I may not be an expert in this stuff, but even I know that a star doesn't just go boom. And you only have to look at it to know that something's gone seriously wrong. It's, I don't know, it's like, it's sickly. Like it's rotting inside. The doctor nodded. 
very astute. The sun is collapsing into a special anomaly. He made the shape of a sphere with his hands, gradually widening it. It's throwing off a lethal space-time energy effect, charged with artron particles. A shock wave. The calm way he explained it made Ace's blood run cold. And more than anything, she wanted to jump back into the TARDIS and never return. But instead, what she said was, So we're going to stop it then? We're here to save all these people, yeah? He gave her a look, as if that was the stupidest question he'd ever heard. We can't help them, Ace. It's already too late. These worlds are going to burn, and there's nothing we can do to prevent it. Then without another word, the Doctor strode away toward a gantry that led down to the platform beneath. Ace had to tear herself away from the view out the window, and she followed, scowling to cover up how afraid she was. Sorry! Excuse me! Sorry! It was hard to keep up with the Doctor as he worked his way through the crowd. He led with his umbrella, almost strolling, and people got out of his way as if it was the natural thing to do. She could sense fear in the air like smoke, heavy and suffocating. Ace saw people from every walk of life, rich and poor, young and old. They were all just refugees now, anxious to escape. Up ahead, the hull of the cargo ship was a wall of steel and the faces of the people already on board were pressed up to the portholes. The ship was massive, the size of two ocean liners, but still Ace couldn't help wondering if everyone here would be able to get on board. Written on the metal was the ship's name, Obscura, in 20-foot-high letters. Following the Doctor's straw hat bobbing along before her, Ace saw lines of people being funnelled through oval airlock doors. Crewmen in jumpsuits were directing them this way and that. The doctor made a beeline for the man with the most gold braid on his cuffs. Ace stumbled and glanced down. The rest of the space station extended away beneath her feet, with hundreds of other docking bays below. All were empty. The Obscura was the only ship left. Who's in charge? demanded the doctor. He knew the answer already, of course. A man and a woman stood side by side, one with slightly more gold braid than the other, the captain and his second in command. Are you the senior officer? The doctor asked the woman, as if he had all the right in the world to know. The woman scowled. She had blonde hair and a pinched face. I'm K-6, first officer. She pointed at the man. This is Captain O. He looked a little friendlier, but the stress of the day was clearly taking its toll. I'm in command of this vessel. Sir, I must ask you to wait in line. You'll be embarked in good time. We have plenty of room. The Doctor ignored him. Do you know who we are? Before Owen could answer, he went on, nodding at his companion. This is the esteemed Lady Dorothy McShane. Ace winced at the sound of her real name. From Earth. 
And I am the Doctor. Earth? Earth Central? Um, yes? We were told Earth Central's diplomatic team was lost. When the inner colonies were destroyed, how did you get here? It wasn't easy, said the Doctor, quick and sharp. And just like that, he bluffed them into making up a story for them. Ace had witnessed him pull the same trick many times, and it always worked. She wasn't sure if he could hypnotize people a little, or if he knew exactly how to say the right thing at the right time. But all of a sudden, he had them thinking she was an envoy from the Earth Empire, and he was her chaperone. He gave them just enough to let them fill in the blanks themselves. Ace was worried that they would demand some identification, but K6 scanned her with an electronic wand, and grudgingly admitted that yes, Ace was a human, and yes, she was born on Earth. And it seemed that in the 49th century, pure Earth-born types like her were rarer than hen's teeth. Ace's birthplace was almost a status symbol. Owen immediately insisted on escorting them both to another docking hatch. Uh, this way, please. A lift platform took them up over the heads of the refugees, moving across the endless stream of people. The captain did something with his ID card to make it split in two and then split again. Uh, take these. They'll auto-encode to cabins on Sigma Deck. Once we're aboard, go there and secure for departure. I warn you, it won't be a smooth ride getting out of here. He shot a look at the big dome above, and Ace did the same. The shimmering outer edge of the shockwave looked close enough to reach out and touch. And then, Ace heard music. What are they doing down there? A group of people in threadbare robes were sitting on the deck in a circle, singing and nodding their heads, making no attempt to follow the rest of the refugees aboard the Obscura. They call themselves the Senders. A dangerous doomsday cult, if you ask me. The Doctor raised an eyebrow. That's a bit harsh, don't you think? They don't seem very dangerous. They're fools, Doctor. The Senders believe that the collapse of our star was preordained. They've been waiting for the shockwave to arrive, welcoming it. They believe that when it hits, they'll be transformed by the energy. Transformed into what? Ashes? The Senders think they will ascend and evolve into a new kind of life form, a higher being. Madness. Ace thought about the terrible light pouring off the dying sun. How could anyone seriously think it was a good thing? That's suicide! We can't leave them here to die! She leaned over the rail and shouted down at them. Hey, you lot! Philosophical debates about evolution are one thing, but that's a killer star out there! You stay here singing Kumbaya and you'll all be toast! One of them looked up at Ace, a girl about her own age. Red hair poking out from under her hood. Frightened eyes. Ace. The doctor tapped her hand and she turned back. They've made a choice of their own free will. We don't have the right to force them to do otherwise. Professor, we... But what she was going to say next was lost, as the first filaments of the shockwave bounced off the space station's shields. 
Ace staggered as they boarded the Obscura, and the Doctor helped her up from the deck where she fell. Out beyond the portholes, storms of purple lightning tore at the dock, like the claws of some wild animal. Are you all right, Ace? The Doctor gave her a once-over. Ace? I thought you said your name was... Ace, it's like um, a title. Like your ladyship. I see. I'm afraid I'll have to let you find your own way up to Sigma Deck. I need to supervise the final phase of the launch countdown. He turned to go, but the Doctor waylaid him. I have an important item of cargo, Captain. A large blue crate. We need to make sure it's brought aboard. It's vital to Earth Central. Very well, Doctor. Come with me. I'm heading to the command centre. We can check the loaders from there. Splendid. The Doctor threw Ace a wink. Stay out of trouble, he muttered. And then he left her there, amid a sea of scared people. But Ace had never been the kind to stand around and do nothing. She had to help if she could, even if only in a small way. Hey, little thing. Are you lost? Where's your mum? Come on, let's get you back to her. Here, Grandad. I've got some water in my backpack. You sound like you need it more than I do. Oi, you! Yeah, you! Help me move this! It's blocking the corridor! airlock hatches sealed tight. The ship was filled to the brim, and anyone who had not boarded was going to be left behind. Ace could not stop herself from taking one last look back. She pressed her face up to a hatch and peered out. What she didn't expect was to see the girl with the red hair staring back at her, tears streaming down her face. I can't stay! Please, let me in! It was the same girl she'd seen before. She'd thrown away her hood in a last second change of heart and left the rest of the senders to their chanting. But the hatch was sealed tight. Ace felt sick as she realised that she couldn't help her. I can't open it! It's too late! The Obscura detached from the dock, moving slowly at first. Ace tried to tell her how sorry she was, but the red-haired girl was yelling, pointing at something behind her. The T-Mat! Use the T-Mat! She shouted. Ace turned and saw what she meant. In an alcove across the compartment, there was a teleporter pod, so if the airlock was inoperable, the crew could still beam people in or out. Luck was on their side. It took a second for the device to lock on, and then... Then the red-haired girl was standing next to Ace, shaking with fear. Hey! I'm Ace. Pleased to rescue you. Glad you had second thoughts, Red. She gave her an odd look. My name is Ninejay, she said. Thank you. I stared into the storm and realised...
realize that my path is elsewhere. I still have so much more to do. Ace had been glad to help, but the mood of the other refugees was in danger of turning ugly. There were those among them who didn't like the idea of 9J being aboard. Some blame the senders for the sun death, she explained. They think we caused it, but we are innocent. Ace didn't want to be responsible for a fight breaking out. Thinking quickly, she gave 9J her cabin ID card. Here, find my room on Sigma deck. Go lie low. You're safe now. 9J gave her that odd look again. Thank you, Ace. You have done a very noble and selfless thing today. Then she was gone. And outside, the world was coming to an end. Ace had seen some amazing things traveling with the Doctor. Awesome things. She knew people who used that word a lot. That's an awesome song, they would say. You have an awesome jacket, Ace. But until you saw a planet dying, you really couldn't know what that word meant. It meant wonder and dread. It meant total abject terror and wide-eyed amazement all mixed together. The first thing to go was the atmosphere of Tarsus 6. The shock wave ripped it away in a heartbeat, quicker than you could take a breath. The planet was instantly scorched to bare rock. The space station blew apart, like a fistful of glitter thrown into the air. Then, Tarsus 6 ended. The shock wave engulfed it. For a moment, it was like a lump of burning coal in the heart of an open fire, brilliant red and seared black. The planet collapsed in on itself. Pieces of rock bigger than mountains, bigger than continents, broke apart, crashing into each other, until there were just cinders scattered across space. And the shockwave was still coming. It obliterated Tarsus VI the same way it had destroyed five other worlds, and it was still growing, still expanding. It was a storm, the biggest, most terrifying hurricane ever, scaled up a million times. It wasn't like looking a Dalek in the eye stalk or facing off against Cybermen. Ace knew that even with the worst monsters, there was still a chance you could understand them, perhaps even reason with them, but not with something like the shockwave. The storm had no mind, no voice. It didn't want anything. It wouldn't listen to you. All you could do was try to outrun it. Ace kept thinking back to why the Doctor had landed the TARDIS here, and she couldn't come up with an answer she liked. Sometimes, she thought, it was really irritating playing catch-up to his plans. She decided she would get the facts straight from the Time Lord's mouth. The Obscura's command deck was off-limits to everyone except the crew, but that didn't seem to be an issue for Ace. Everyone was too busy trying to keep the ship flying to notice her sneaking in. Thrusters to maximum, seal secondary hatches and secure stations. The room was a hollow sphere, and the curved walls were video panels, showing a view from outside. 
The crew stood on platforms, floating on anti-gravity pods, moving around as they did their jobs. Each had hologram screens arranged in front of them. At the heart of it, Captain Owen and the Doctor stood on a silver disc, both of them pointing their hands like a pair of orchestra conductors. Keep those reactor cores stable. Don't overexert the sublight engines. We need to accelerate slowly and steadily. K6, watch your monitors. The Doctor saw Ace, but didn't say anything. Instead, he raised an eyebrow at Owen. You understand that you can't use your hyperdrive. The shockwave's radiation would cause an implosion. This isn't my first cruise, Doctor. Believe me, I'm well aware of the danger we are in. So how did you draw the short straw then? Who decided your ship would be the last one out? I chose Ace. Because my crew are the best. I knew they could get these people to safety. The fastest ships from all across the Tarsus system were going full throttle toward interplanetary space, racing for something called the Red Line. If they made it across, they would be safe, past the point where the shockwave could destroy them. But if they fell short... What does that mean, Professor? It means the storm isn't in the mood to let us go. The doctor nodded at a support rail. Brace yourself! This will be bumpy! Then he turned to Owen, and he was all business again. Captain, if you have neutron buffers, I'd activate them now. We may need those later in the voyage. We can't... The doctor cut him off. If you don't do as I say, there won't be a later. Must I invoke the authority of Earth Central? Very well. K6? K6 grimaced, but she did what he asked. Buffers activated. On the window screens, there was nothing but a wall of shimmering, violent energy. Out of the seething mass came giant arcs of lightning, the same as those that had ripped open the space station. Here we go. The ship was bombarded by actinic flashes of energy, and it was all Ace could do to hang on as the crew fought to keep the Obscura from being torn apart. The vessel lay in the grip of the storm front for a few seconds, but to every person on the Obscura, it felt like a lifetime. Slowly, the ship began to pull ahead of the massive wall of fire. Thrusters ran until they were glowing white hot, Huge towers of flame pushing it, little by little, out of the danger zone. The Obscura would have to keep a constant acceleration to stay ahead of the shockwave, because it too was picking up speed. It grew as it fed on matter and energy from all the planets it destroyed. Now, they were in a race to the Red Line. The prize was survival. Good job, everyone. We're on our way. Doctor, it appears you were correct. Thanks for your suggestions. The Doctor doffed his hat. My pleasure. But we're not out of the woods yet! The engine controls were huge holographic dials over K6's head, coloured green and red to show how hot they were running. There was much more red than green. You can't keep your foot down all the way. I'm not sure I follow your idiom, Ace. But don't worry. 
Obscura's star drive is a very delicate piece of hardware, but she'll make it. You have my word. Ace knew he meant what he said, but that didn't stop her wanting to find another way out of the frying pan and the fire. The doctor excused himself from the command center, saying something about checking on his blue crate, and Ace was right behind him. When they were out of earshot of the crew, she grabbed his arm. Professor, now might be a good time to tell me why we're actually here. He eyed her. What's wrong, Ace? You're not usually bothered by the odd brush with danger. I'm not. But then it isn't just me and you in jeopardy, is it? There have to be hundreds of thousands of people loaded on this ship. I don't like the idea that we might be playing games with their lives. He frowned. You know me better than that. I won't risk an innocent life. So let's save these people. The TARDIS is here, and it's so big on the inside it has space for every single refugee on this ship. Let's pack them in, dematerialize, and drop them off on that nice beach planet with the purple sky. But even before she'd finished speaking, the look in the doctor's eyes was a firm no. Not possible, he said. The Artron energy particles, remember? What stops the Obscura from jumping into hyperspace would also destroy the TARDIS if we tried to leave. Like it or not, we're on this journey to the end. So if we're not here to stop that star going mental, and we're not here to rescue people, then why are we here? The doctor smiled that infuriating smile of his. It's very simple. We're here to rob a bank vault. Ace had to admit, she didn't see that one coming. She'd been in some odd scrapes with the doctor, and most of the time he made it up as he went along. But this... this place? How are we going to find anything in here? The doctor led the way, sauntering along a suspended gantry over the hold, like it was on a Sunday stroll. So, this vault thing, it's not like you to nick something. I'm not nicking anything, he retorted. It already belongs to me, sort of. He pointed with his umbrella as they passed over a section full of big hexagonal containers. The modules were packed with cultural treasures and historical artefacts, the contents of museums and art galleries rescued from the fires of destruction. And what exactly are you after? The locals call it the Voice of Stone, said the Doctor. A cube about the size of a fist. The colonists discovered it when they first landed on Tarsus four centuries ago. I need to... listen to what it has to say. He stopped and looked at Ace with his old grey eyes. It called out to me. It knew my name. Okay, I'll go along with that. But your timing is terrible. If this stone thing has been on Tarsus 6 for ages, why did you pick today to come looking for it? Couldn't we have gone back to a less dangerous time, like when the sun wasn't exploding? He shook his head. This is the only point in history where the location of the Voice of Stone is precisely verified. This is the only place 
where I can get access to it. Trust me, Ace. It's important. They descended to the deck on a hover platform, and up close the hexagon pods seemed even bigger. The doctor closed his eyes and walked down the line of the containers, his head cocked like he was listening for a sound that only he could hear. What was that? No talking, he snapped. It's distracting. The strange hum was getting closer. Ace was sure of it. The doctor halted in front of a container with the words Property of Tarsus Bank stenciled on it in large red letters. He opened his eyes. This one. I'll get it open, Ace. You deal with the drone. The what? He waved her away. The autonomous security drone. The one that's been following us since we got in here. Go on, chop chop. Ace had encountered this kind of drone before. It was a sound seeker. A robot bat armed with laser beam fangs that tracked sonic patterns to intercept intruders. The only thing to do was to send it on a wild goose chase. Each time Ace made a noise, it homed in, stalking her down the lines of cargo pods. But she had a trick up her sleeve. Oi! It worked like a charm. Sound seekers were fast, but not too clever. And each time Ace called out, her voice bounced off the walls. The machine quickly became confused as the sound of her voice came at it from multiple directions. Echo! It took the bait and sped off, but it would not take long for the drone to discover that it had been fooled. It would return soon enough, and probably with reinforcements. Ace ran back to the doctor. He had the big cargo pod open, but he seemed less than happy about it. You cracked it! Nice! He shook his head. That's just it. I didn't. The hatch was two feet thick, and studded with lock mechanisms, none of which were working. Inside were dozens of sealed cylinders, each one numbered and coded like safe deposit boxes. One of them, big enough to hold a cube about the size of someone's fist, was wide open and empty. It's gone. The doctor's expression slipped. The voice of stone was here, he frowned. I was following an echo. Somebody beat us to it? But who would even know about it? <gasps> Before the doctor could answer, every alarm in the cargo bay was blaring. The sound seeker returned with a flock of other drones and pinned the pair of them under spotlights. Attention intruders, this is Captain Owen. Stay where you are and do not move. Unauthorized access to ship stores is illegal and... Ace? Doctor? What are you doing? That area is restricted! We can explain! It's not what it looks like! Raise your hands! You are both under arrest! The inside of a cell was another thing Ace had seen a lot of in her time travelling with the Doctor. Brigs and prisons, dungeons and jails. Being captured was an occupational hazard. The drones turned them over to the first officer, K6. 
From the start, the woman had taken a dislike to Ace and the Doctor, and now her instincts had been proved right. She locked them away behind bars and left them in silence. Ace paced the room, partly because she had nothing to do, and partly because there was only one bunk which the Doctor was lying on, apparently asleep. You played me for a fool. Captain, no! It's not like that! Spare me, Ace! If that is who you really are, because I know who you are not. He held up a holographic data tablet. K6 sent a burst signal to the flagship out ahead of us. They transmitted the secure files for all members of Earth Central's diplomatic corps. None of them are you. Okay, it's a fair cop. We're not diplomats. We're just passing through. You boarded my ship under false pretenses. You broke into a sealed security vault. Why? What did you steal? Nothing. The doctor spoke without opening his eyes. When we arrived, the voice of stone was already gone. The voice of stone? That's a mythical relic from the first landing. A piece of crystal, nothing more. You'll have to do better than that. The doctor got up. Captain, please believe that we did not come here to harm anyone. We are as much at risk from the shockwave as you are. Owen didn't seem convinced. We're on the edge of annihilation, Doctor. And you took that opportunity to steal from us? What kind of man are you? The doctor shook his head. You don't understand. That much is certain. You'll be held here, pending my decision about what to do. There was no warning. The deck vibrated under their feet like a struck bell. The power faded, red emergency lights snapping on all around them. The cell's electromagnetic lock went dead and the door swung open. But for a moment, Ace didn't move. No! No! What happened? It's the engines, said the Doctor. Well, I can't hear them. Exactly. The Obscura star drives are offline. The Captain shoved open the hatch and stumbled out into the gloom. Ace and the Doctor followed. The air was smoky and cold. Owen spoke into a radio. Come on, this is the captain. K6, this is Owen. Answer if you can. The doctor coughed politely. Captain, let us help you. You and Ace are under arrest. Please remain in the brig. I'm not going to wait around in a dark cell. Look, you think we're criminals. Give us a chance to prove otherwise. If the ship is in trouble, everyone needs to pull together, right? The doctor opened up a service panel. What are you doing? Stop it! Behind it was a mess of circuits and wires, but the doctor seemed to know exactly what he was doing. He stuck his hand in the middle of the tangle and made a quick repair. How did you do that? My best engineers couldn't reroute a powertrain that fast. Captain, said the doctor carefully, your ship is adrift. The engines are dead. Even with its current velocity, the Obscura will soon be overtaken by the shockwave. In a matter of hours, 
The doctor nodded. Now, we can put aside our differences, or Ace and I can stay in that cell and do nothing. It's up to you. For all I know, you could have caused this. That would make us the most galactically stupid thieves ever. Look, I know it's a big ask, but trust us? <laughs> you lied to me once today. And under different circumstances, I might do exactly what K6 suggested and vent you to space. You're right. I need every able hand. But rest assured that once we're safely past the red line, you will answer for your misconduct. They started forward, the Doctor and the Captain talking intently about the Obscura's power systems. As they walked, O1's dour first officer spoke up over the radio. K6's report was troubling. The overworked engines had not just malfunctioned. Someone on board the ship had deliberately sabotaged the drives to set the ship adrift and then fled into the lower decks. Who would do something like that? K6? Did the security drones capture any visuals of the saboteur? They had. K6 sent a holographic image to Owen's communicator. Ace's blood ran cold as a familiar face appeared before them. A girl, about her age, with red hair and frightened eyes. 9J. Ace, what is it? said the doctor, seeing the colour drain from her cheeks. Nothing. Ace came up with an excuse, telling the doctor she would find the TARDIS and make sure it was safe. Their eyes met, and she could tell the doctor knew she was making it up, but he said nothing. Once she was out of sight, Ace raced up the levels to Sigma Deck, to the compartments Owen had assigned them when they had boarded. The corridors were full of scared people, huddling together for what scraps of comfort they could find. All of them knew what the silent engines meant. The shockwave's devastation had only been postponed. But Ace's thoughts were elsewhere. All she could think of was 9J's face, pressed up against that porthole, begging to be let on board. Ace had taken pity on her, and now thousands of people would pay the price for her compassion. She had to make it right. And more than that, Ace wanted to know why 9J had done something so terrible. In the chaos and confusion, nobody would be keeping an eye on the staterooms. It was the ideal place to hide. Ace found 9J sitting in the middle of the room, and when she saw her, she smiled like Ace was a long-lost sister. It is good you came to me. I want to share this with you. Do you realise what you've done? If the Doctor can't restart the engines, we're done for! 9J shook her head. He won't. I was instructed exactly how to disable the Obscura. Her voice was calm and even, as if they were discussing the weather. Why did you do this? To save you, she said. To think I was almost too late. But you were there to help me. And now when the sun death comes, we will all be reborn. This crude matter will dissipate and life will become pure energy. Can you imagine it, Ace? We'll become one with the universe. 
we will ascend towards a new state of being. You lied to me. It was never about you having a change of heart. The senders had planned this all along. They want us to go the same way they did. But you didn't have the right to force that on other people. Ace recalled the doctor's words back on the space station. Your people made the choice of their own free will. But now you've taken that same choice away from the rest of us. This is for the best, said 9J, still smiling. Trust me. And what if you're wrong? What if we get atomized? For the first time, Ace saw a flicker of doubt. That won't happen. We will be reborn. Can you know for sure? 9J's smile faltered. I... I have faith. Perhaps she did, thought Ace, but that didn't mean the senders could decide the fate of thousands of people. I have fulfilled my purpose, 9J went on, almost as if she was trying to convince herself. The voice of stone has been set free. The last prophecy comes. You took the voice of stone? Of course. I should have guessed you were part of that. What does some old relic have to do with anything? 9J explained that the first senders found the object when Earth's colonists came to Tarsus. They believed that the voice was a message from the cosmos and that the collapse of their sun had been predicted all those years ago. For decades, the voice was lost, she said. Now, at the end, I have liberated it. Well, I hate to break it to you, but that thing isn't what you think it is. What have you done with it? The outer edges of the storm front came streaking across the darkness and battered at the obscurer's force walls, buckling them. Colossal blue-green flashes of light, bright and shimmering like an aurora, filled the sky. The starship rocked like an old sailing boat tossed by high winds. And then it was gone again. But this was just a false dawn, a moment of calm, like the silence in the eye of a hurricane. The next time it hit, the ship would be torn apart. Where is the voice of stone, 9J? Reluctantly, the sender girl showed Ace where she had hidden the object. It sat on the bed in one of the other rooms of the suite. Nearby, Ace noticed that a cover was missing off a ventilation shaft in the wall. Suddenly, she knew how 9J had been able to sneak around the ship without being arrested. Just like the doctor had said, the voice of stone was a cube made out of something that looked like smoked glass. The heart of it was dark, as if it was filled with ink. Ace picked it up. She expected it to be cold to the touch, like old rock, but the object was warm, almost like it was alive. And right at the edge of her hearing, Ace sensed a heartbeat. It was familiar. She'd felt the same thing in one other place, on board the TARDIS. I think this is from Gallifrey. The object gave off a weird flash of light, almost as if it recognised her. 9J went pale with awe. 
the voice speaks to you. How can that be? It has never illuminated, not in hundreds of years. There was confusion in her eyes, her mind racing with conflicted thoughts. Then suddenly, the door to the stateroom vibrated under a heavy blow. Someone was trying to force their way inside, and Ace heard K6's angry voice beyond. She realized that the officer must have been tracking her through the ship after she split off from Owen and the Doctor. She had led her right to 9J. Ace, we have to flee! 9J pushed her toward the open mouth of the vent shaft. Go, take the artifact. I will be right behind you. You're trusting me with it. Now, after all I said. She nodded. I know you are a good soul, Ace. And if the voice of stone knows you too, then you must carry it. Now hurry! Behind them, the door crashed open. Ducking drone stun bolts, the two of them dove through the hatch and fell away into the darkness. The shaft deposited them several decks below, and not without giving Ace a few bruises along the way. We need to find the engine room. That's where the professor is. Who is that? Asked 9J. The man this cube belongs to. He'll know what to do with it. The engines were still silent. That didn't bode well. Ace wondered, if 9J was right, and the Doctor really couldn't fix the damage she had done, were there any other options? Or would Ace have to find out about life after death the hard way? It wasn't until she heard Owen's voice that Ace realised there was another choice. But it had a price. Attention passengers and crew. This is Captain Owen. I'm broadcasting this message across all intercom channels. We face a grave crisis. Our main drive has been sabotaged, and our secondary thrusters are not powerful enough for us to outrun the shockwave. 9J's head bobbed. So should it be. The impact is only a few minutes away. However, the Doctor and I have formulated a plan that we hope will preserve the ship. I've got a bad feeling about this. We're going to eject the ship's primary power module directly into the path of the shockwave effect. All remaining power will be channeled into the module to generate a force wall. It should be able to shield the Obscura long enough to let the wave pass. Could that actually work? 9J scowled. Impossible. The power module would be destroyed in the process. To maintain the force wall, someone will need to remain on board the module to trigger the system. And as your captain, I can ask no other to accept that duty. Good luck to you all. Does everyone from your planet have a death wish? He can't! insisted 9J. We must stop him! Ace agreed, but for very different reasons. Ready to detach. Doctor, if you would assist me. While Ace and 9J were racing down the metal tunnels to reach them, the Doctor was about to help Owen make the ultimate sacrifice. This is the only way. It has to be me. This is my vessel, 
These are my people. It is my responsibility. Commence ejection sequence. Thank you, Doctor. Please, tell my wife that I'm sorry. The Doctor was silent for a moment before he gave a slow nod. I will, Captain, he said. I'll make certain she knows what you did for us. Wait! Wait! But it was too late. The Captain was already on his way. The power module fell away, drifting into the void between the starship and the oncoming shockwave. Muttered the doctor. He glanced at Nine J, looking her up and down. Come to witness the end. Ace turned to him, glowering, and thrust the voice of stone into his hands. Here, you better take this then, before it's all over. His eyes widened. Where did you find it? Ace spilled it all out in quick order. Nine J and the senders, their plan for the Obscura, K6 and her drones. But the Doctor wasn't really listening. He stared into the cube. Then, he said something to it. Just a whisper, so quiet, Ace couldn't register what language it was in. And suddenly, the thing was awake. It glowed with life. Inside the glassy cube, there was a core of milky quartz, and on one face of it, a symbol that almost resembled a question mark. Nine J clasped her hands and bowed her head as if it was the most incredible thing she had ever seen. A fan of light shot out and formed into the shape of a man. He was odd looking, youngish and oldish all at once. He wore a tweed jacket and a bow tie. He reminded Ace of a quirky geography teacher. But then the hologram looked right at her and grinned. And she knew exactly who he was. It was the eyes. The same eyes. Ace! Hello! Said the hologram. You're there, right? I'm sure you would be. Hello! I probably haven't apologised for dragging you into all this, have I? Did he? I mean, lucky seven. Probably one of my more circumspect periods. The voice speaks, whispered 9J. Who is he? Ace pointed at the doctor. He's him. I mean, one of him. Can he hear what I'm saying? The doctor, Ace's doctor, glared back at her and put a finger to his lips. No, I can't. Hear you, that is. You found a Time Lord's psychic cube and I'm the message. Wait for the beep. All of a sudden, the smile on the other doctor's face fell away and he started pacing. So, seventh time lucky then. Hello, me. I'm sure you remember getting the previous six of these, so you know the drill. I'm in an awful bind and I need your help to get out of it. In fact, I need all of me to help, um, me. You know how it goes. One second you're off saving the universe with a ball of string and an otter in your pocket, and the next... Yes, said the Doctor. I know. You and Ace have to do a thing. It's a small, small, small thing. I just need you to keep someone out of harm's way, so they'll be there when I, that is... We need them. 
The two doctors shared a look, and they both frowned in exactly the same way. There's a man on that spaceship. His name is Owen. All you have to do is to make sure he gets home to his family. Easy. Oh no, said Ace. Just keep him alive. I know you can do that. Oh, and be nicer to Ace. The last thing Ace expected to see was some future incarnation of the Doctor appearing out of the cube to deliver a cryptic memo. Everything came down to this. The whole reason they were here. The reason why she had been in the wrong place at the wrong time to let 9J board the ship. All because another version of the Doctor had posted himself a secret message. Ace wondered if he sent that cube to himself, then didn't the Doctor already know what was going to happen? Apparently he was going to live through this, but she felt a chill as she wondered, would anyone else? Out in space, the shockwave was coming, all blazing streaks of lightning and storms of cosmic rays, and the Obscura was a paper boat in the teeth of a riptide. One way or another, it would all be over very soon. There's no way Owen will survive. You both knew that. The doctor nodded. He insisted. He studied a screen. The force wall is active. Two minutes to impact. And if we let Owen die? What happens to future you? I'm sure he, I mean, you wouldn't ask for help unless there was no other alternative. There must be some way to protect the ship and save Owen. No, the doctor said firmly. There's no time, Ace. Someone must face the storm in order for everyone else to live. Owen wanted it to be him. Ace turned to 9J. Do you see? Do you understand what you've done? You made us part of this, and we didn't want to be. Now a brave man is going to die. 9J shook her head. It is you that does not understand, she insisted. Oh, one will be given a gift. We are the ones who will suffer. A thought occurred to Ace, and it made her breath catch in her throat. What if someone could take the captain's place? The doctor rounded on her, and his face was like thunder. Not you! I won't allow it, Ace! But 9J was already pushing past him, toward an alcove in the wall. There was a T-Map machine there, the same kind that Ace had used at the dock. We can use this to retrieve one from the power module, she said. Exchange him for me. You take his place. You'll die out there. She shook her head. I don't believe I will. You want us to depend on you. The doctor folded his arms. But there's nothing to stop you deactivating the force wall and letting the shockwave consume us all. The conflict in 9J's thoughts was written across her face. At last, she shook her head. Ace told me that the senders do not have the right to force others into a choice they didn't ask for. At first, I didn't accept that until I saw the voice of stone speak. A tear trickled down her cheek. 
The senders believed the voice was something it was not. If that is so, then perhaps they are not right in all things. The girl was having a crisis of faith, right before their eyes. But still, 9J had made up her mind. You don't have to do this. She shook her head. Oh, dear Ace, of course I must. I'm the only one who can. And then, before either of them could stop her, she activated the teleporter and stepped into the beam. When the T-Mat glare faded, 9J was gone, and in her place stood Captain Owen, shocked and angry in equal measure. What happened? Why did you bring me back? You've destroyed us! No, Captain. Someone else has taken your place. One of the senders. A sender? But the senders did this to us. Why would you ever trust one of them? Because she made the choice with a clear conscience. The doctor looked out at the fast approaching shockwave. Not out of guilt. Not out of duty as you did. 9J made the choice because of what she honestly, truly believes. She'll be atomized. And seconds later, so will we. I don't think so. 9J's voice issued from the intercom. Ace? Can you hear me? I'm ready. I wanted to thank you. For what? For opening my eyes. For trusting me. Farewell, Ace. We will meet again one day. In the life beyond this one. Contact imminent. The Force Wall is still active. She kept her word. How about that? Others might have run, covered their faces, or cowered behind the sofa. But Ace had never been one to shy away. She didn't see the point. If the end was coming, she wanted to look it in the eye. And she wanted to make sure that someone stood witness to 9J's sacrifice. The combined power of a broken star and a time anomaly, the greatest storm in the galaxy, all concentrated in one place, came down on them. Colors out there that didn't belong in our universe, warped shades of light, shredded the sky. It was like looking into the heart of a great cosmic inferno. Ace felt tiny, confronting such a huge elemental force. But then she remembered that they were going to get through this, because of another small little human, just like her. And then, there was one final flash in the darkness, as the ashen remains of the power module broke apart on the solar winds. For a moment, Ace thought she saw something else as the shockwave passed. A glimmer of light, streaming away. But she couldn't be sure. She had something in her eye, blurring her vision. In the days that followed, the Doctor and Ace did the best they could to help out Owen and the people on the Obscura, making up for not quite being honest with them in the first place. K6 wasn't about to let them off easily, though. 
She wanted both of them put before a tribunal and the full force of Tarsus law. Meanwhile, the shockwave had finally dissipated, leaving a cloud of dust and gas behind it. Rescue ships from other star systems were sweeping for survivors, but the Obscura was the only vessel that had weathered the storm. In the end, only one life had been lost, but Owen insisted on listing 9J as missing rather than dead. We detected no life sign traces out there, but I was wrong about her. She was a very brave young lady. We owe her our lives. Well, maybe one day you'll get to return the favor by doing something for someone else. I don't follow you. I'm sure you'll know what to do when the time comes. Here, you can have this. The voice of stone? I always thought it was just a legend. The doctor tapped the deck with his umbrella. In my experience, there's truth in every legend, but it's up to each of us to find the meaning of it ourselves. They stopped in front of the TARDIS, and Ace glanced out through the portholes along the far wall. I've seen a lot of weird things in space and time, but I can't be sure. Is 9J really gone? Or was she right about the shockwave? Did it change her? The doctor's expression became thoughtful. As well as being a place of great dangers and thrilling adventures, the universe is also a realm of infinite possibilities. So, who can see? This blue crate. What does the doctor want in there, anyway? Oh, nothing much. As a matter of fact, I'd better pop inside and, you know, help him out. Uh, back in a bit! And don't forget to stay out of trouble! The captain had a lot more questions, but he wouldn't get any answers. All he had was a story about a blue box, a pair of travellers, and a red-headed girl. Doctor Who, Shockwave by James Swallow, was performed by Sophie Aldred with Ian Brooker as Owen and was a big finish production for Audio Go.